0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now, as I said before, we're kicking off a series called, can you remember what it was called? Coming Soon, where we're looking at the reality of eternity. And this is going to be a fun series, lots of stuff that, that, that um, we're going to talk about. And what I want to do, just to start off, is to encourage us to come uh, for the next couple of weeks with an open heart, with an open mind, with an open Bible, as we engage, as we converse, as we look at different themes, different topics that are to do with eternity, and to come with just a, a spirit of humility that we are all here, not as experts, but as learners. We come with a spirit that says we're here to learn, we're here to grow, we're here to hear what um, God's Word says about, about different things in eternity. And um, I just pray that we, we, we do that and that what is said as well is taken home and broken down and had a look at and uh, that you are encouraged to go back to your Bible To have a look at what God says and to formulate what you believe from that. Who here likes camping? Quickly transitioned then, didn't I? There's a few people who like camping. I'm not much of a fan of camping. One of the worst things about camping that I know is uh, setting up the tent. Who actually, let me be honest here, who actually enjoys setting up a tent? Wow. I'm going to pray for you guys after we're going to do a call. And I'm going to call you forward just to pray God's blessing over you. I, I, I find it so frustrating setting up a tent. And what's even worse than setting up a tent is setting up a tent with someone else. It's, if you're a couple here and you haven't gone camping and set up a tent together, you haven't actually seen the true person that you're with. I actually feel like this should be part of premarital counselling. You know, you do a session on communication, session on finances, what that looks like for you as you're coming together, and then a session where you go and put a tent up together. Because at the point of putting up the tent together, all of the ugly stuff starts to rise up. The closest that me and my wife have ever come to, to breaking up was when we had to put a tent up together. And I tell you, it was not a pretty scene. It was a windy day in Calbarry, and uh, we're trying to put up this tent and words were flying everywhere. The tent was flying everywhere. Pegs were flying everywhere. Tears were flying everywhere. It was just not a pretty scene. And I remember that day as being one of the, you know, the moments where I was like, I'm not sure about this. Because it rose everything in both of us to the surface. But putting a tent together is not good fun for me. I know some of you like it, but I'm very thankful to God that he invented pop-up tents. I'm probably still not going to be able to do this. I was told that it should just Should just kind of pop up. Is that it? There's obviously a design flaw in this one. Pop-up tents, God's greatest gift to mankind. I actually need my wife here (laughs) to fix this, because this is just reminiscent of Calvary all over again. But the pop-up tent. Now, who here lives in a tent? It's okay. We're amongst friends. Probably not many of us live in a tent. We We live in a house. A tent is a temporary dwelling. It's a place where you set up and you may camp for a little bit of time. You may spend a bit of time in there, but it's not a a dwelling place that we live in. It's falling down, isn't it? It's probably the worst tent ever. But the tent is, it, it, I want to use the tent this morning because it speaks to us about this life. You know, if you're a Christian, you would understand that, that this life, this world is a temporary dwelling place for us. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's not the, the end of our eternity. It's not where we're going to spend all of our time. It's a temporary dwelling place. It's a place that we stay in for a little while before we move into the next part of eternity. But what can happen in our culture is we, we, we like the tent. And we get really uh, engrossed in the tent. And we... we You know, we get in the tent, probably not this one, it's not the greatest, but we make ourselves comfortable in the tent. And we set up our home in the tent and we set up our life in the tent and we buy ourselves a nice little bookshelf and a nice little um, bed and some toys and a Bible and all sorts of things and we, we get stuck in the tent and we think that life is all about the tent but as we consider eternity i want you to think about this it's not all about the tent the tent is temporary this life is temporary now the tent it serves as a temporary dwelling place and you can see that on from my perspective the tent has an end From where I'm sitting, the tent has an end. But we have to know that the the end is an end. It's not the end. Beyond my end here, there is more. There is far greater than what is inside of the tent. So as we engage with eternity, I want to encourage us to remember that there is more beyond the end that we see. Even death to us is an end. But it's not the end. And I want to read this morning from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. since you ha- It's hot in here. <laughs> I'm sweating. Whew. Colossians 3, verse 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What happens when we come to Jesus is he awakens us. He he opens up the tent so that we can see beyond what is temporal, what is external. And he opens us and he calls us to actually not just dwell in the tent and not just think about the tent, but to fix our eyes, fix our minds, set our thoughts on things that are outside of the temporary. And he calls us to, to set our minds on the things, the realities of heaven, to change the destination of our thinking. This is an intentional thing. He says, set your thoughts or fix your thoughts On the realities of heaven. If you imagine a marksman with a gun, as he as he shoots toward a target, he aims, he sets his aim on that target. The language Paul uses is is encouraging us (coughs) to set our thinking on the things that are eternal. I want to share a little pathway that I use personally. (coughs) Man, I'm like hyperventilating from that tent. I was hot in there. I want to share a little pathway that I use personally to, to help uh, kind of direct my thinking. That's the encouragement from Paul in Colossians. He says, direct your thinking. And where do you direct it? You direct it to the, the destination. Think on these things. Don't spend all your time thinking on the temporal. Because when you set your mind on the destination, it helps you move in the right direction. If I was to want to go to uh, Mirabooka Police Station, (coughs) if I wanted to go there, got out my GPS, what would I do? Would I just kind of follow the roads and hope that I got there? Or would I set the destination and allow the destination to determine the direction that I take? I'd put in the destination and then it would move me in the right direction I would submit that some of us are thinking from the wrong destination, which is, in, which is impacting the direction of our lives. We've set the destination for here and now. And so we move in the direction of the here and now. We spend our time, our energy, our talents on the here and now, rather than on the things that are eternal. And the scriptures give us this outline, and I think I use it as a personal kind of pathway to help direct my thinking. It moves like this. Eternal, internal, external. Eternal, internal, external. To set your mind on the things that are eternal, to, to think that what I do in this world, what I do in this life has an eternal ramification. It has an eternal outcome. And so give thought to those things that are eternal, those things that will last beyond your life. And then look at the internal. Scriptures call us to, to look at what's happening in our own lives, in our own hearts, to give thought to it, to, to give attention to it. What is going on inside of you that is causing you to live the way you live or is, or is motivating you to, to live the way you live? To look at the internal and then to give attention to the external, what the temporary, the temporal things that are around us. Our culture has it this way. Flip that over. We spend so much time thinking about the external, how we look, how we sound, what we, what we look like, what, you know, what we've got in our possession, what, what our car looks like, what our job is, the things that are external and temporal. It doesn't give a lot of time or thought to who we are as people. You know, If you move outside of the, the Christian community, People will look to, at, at changing themselves or growing themselves, usually so that they can gain something from that, rather than because it's who God calls them to be. And then very little time or thought or energy is given to, to considering the things of the eternal. We see it in our culture, and I believe that it's part of the reason that our culture is the way it is. It's part of the reason that we, we, we are so fixated with the here and the now. And Paul says to the church, (coughs) change your thinking. Set your sights on the reality of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. How much thought do you give to the things beyond this life, to the things beyond this world, even to your life in this life, affecting things in eternity how much thought do we give that's why we're creating space that's why we we're, we're, we're doing this series is to help us to just take some time to think through those things because i want you to know that what happens on this world what happens in this life does affect eternity there is much more to life than what we know right now so please don't get stuck in the here and the now Scripture is clear. It tells us, look beyond. It talks about a God that is eternal, who has lasted, who has been alive generation to generation to generation. And if he doesn't come back before our generation is finished, then he will continue for generation and generation to generation. He's the God that outlasts all of us. He's the God that is eternal. And so what perspective do you think he thinks with? I don't think he's, he's fixated with you know, settings of times and dates and different things like that. I think he, he looks eternally, and he invites us to do the same. F- fix your thoughts on things of heaven. Fix your thoughts on the realities of heaven. Now, as we approach a series like this, there is a lot of things that we could talk about, and some of them helpful. Some of them not so helpful. If you've ever done any kind of formal uh, study of eschatology, the end times, you, you will know most times you come away with more questions than you do answers because it opens up a whole can of worms at, at different times for different times and dates and and ways and timelines that things work and things function. So we're not going to spend too much time looking at things that can be, uh, you know, debated or things that that can be uh, up to personal interpretation, or that, that there's many different interpretations of, we want to look at things that are clear in Scripture. We want to spend our time looking at things that are clear, that we see that are clear. One of those things being Jesus is going to return, Jesus is coming back. In case you hadn't heard, he is coming back. It is a non-negotiable. Jesus will return. No man knows the day or the time. And whilst we may put together a timeline, Jesus is coming back. That's something that we have to take into consideration. Another thing that that is, is going to take place is that we will all stand before God and give an account for our lives. There will be a day of judgment where we will stand before God and give an account. That is something that's going to take place. Then there will be a time when we move into different destinations. There'll be a separation and some will go to a place that we, we would call heaven and some would move to a reality that we would call hell. And we're actually going to take some time over the next couple of weeks to speak into those, uh, those concepts, those places, those, those realms. We're going to speak a message on hell in a couple of weeks which I'm not really looking forward to, but understand that there is a responsibility to speak the whole counsel of God and to explore and explain to the best of our ability what we see in Scripture about these places. But this morning I want to focus particularly on the space of judgment, eternal judgment. And I want to pull out some keys that we see in Scripture. Again, not not wanting to get stuck in different things that could be here or there, but looking at what is key, what is clear in Scripture, and presenting that to us. So here's the first thing that we see in Scripture. And I'm going to use the slides because I'm going to jump a few different Scriptures, and it's going to be easier than flopping around with things. Here's the first key. Every single person faces judgment. Hebrews 9.27, and just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment. Every person, regardless of your socioeconomic standing, regardless of your race, regardless of your creed, regardless of your religion, regardless of where you work, regardless of how far away you live from the North Pole, every person will receive judgment. Every person will come before God on that judgment day. Every person. Michael Jordan, one of my favorite basketball players. He'll be there. Hitler, not one of my favorite basketball players. He'll be there. Obama, Scott Morrison, the Beatles, Kanye West. He's big right now. Jesus is king. They'll all be there. Every person will be there. Every person will face God and give account for the life that they've lived. Every single person. Now, I got real good in school at getting out of exams, getting out of tests. Somehow I would just develop a case of tonsillitis or the runs. It's a good excuse. No one checks, you know. <laughs> I would come up with an excuse, get mum to write me a note. Scott can't attend the test today because he has tonsillitis, glandular fever. You know, sometimes you just have to kind of extreme it a little bit if you need more longer. I took over a week off once because I had to give a speech and I hate speaking. Funny that. <laughs> what is this? But on that day, I can't stand, go up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus got a note from mom. Please just let me out of this one. Got a bit of a tonsillitis here. There is no exemption. We're all going to come before him. We're all going to stand there. And that's, I don't want to put fear in you, but I want you to to be sober in how we consider this, that every person will face Jesus. Here's the second point. Jesus is the judge. 2 Timothy 4:1 I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Jesus has been given authority to be the judge. Next slide. In addition the Father judges no one. Instead he has given the Son absolute authority to judge. So on that day, we will stand before Jesus. He will be the one that delivers judgment. I feel like it's important for us to know that. I feel like it's important for us to to understand that it's Jesus that will do the judging. Because he is completely and totally impartial, fair, fair. And just in his judgment. He can't bring judgment outside of who he is. He's a holy God, which means that there needs to be a, a, a dealing with sin and separation. But he's a just God. He's a loving God. He's gracious. He's merciful. And he will make judgment out of who he is. And to me, that, that you know, just gives me a little bit of assurance to know that it's him that will make the judgment. Because if it was up to me, there would be a lot of people in trouble. The person that stole my car spot. But it's Jesus. It's not an angel. It's not another person who you took their seat. November the 3rd, 2019, they're going to stand and accuse you and say, remember that day that Jesus stole my seat? It's not... Another person, it's Jesus. He's the one. He is the one that is authorized. He's the one that has all knowledge. He's the one that can bring fair and just judgment. It also, you know, I think it's important as well to know that because Jesus then is the same Jesus now. He's not going to play good cop, bad cop. He doesn't switch into Terminator Jesus on the day of judgment where he turns into to, to a different Jesus. It's the same Jesus. Which means I have access right now to the one who I will give an account to. Again, that is important. Imagine if you were to give you, were, you had an exam coming up and the person with all of the answers. Was sitting with you, walking with you, able to help you to be prepared for what was ahead. Was able to help you to to work through what needed to be worked through for that examination. Would that not be helpful? But if you just ignored that person or thought that you could do it in in your own way or in your own strength, then that would be like, why would you do that? Jesus, it's the same Jesus, which means that he's with us right now so he can help us to prepare. Lord, look in my life. Tell me where, where I'm missing the mark. Tell me where, where there's areas where I, I, I need you to do something in my heart. Jesus, help me be prepared. I, I want to live prepared. He is the one. He is the one. It, it's also, it, you know, he gives me assurance again knowing the character and the nature of Jesus, because I got questions. I got questions that I'm like, what about this person? Or what about this situation? Or what about, you know, what about uh, this person that hasn't had an opportunity to hear the gospel? Or what about this person that hasn't been able to comprehend or understand what, what, what that was? I got questions, but I rest assured knowing that he is a far greater judge than I am. And with those questions, I place them in his hand and and, and submit them to him, knowing that he knows far greater than we do and that he will bring about the right judgment. So Jesus is that judge. Here's the third thing. Jesus will be the basis of the judgment we receive. No, I've actually got a phobia of drinking water in front of people. So weird. I've got to step out as well. <laughs> Jesus will be the basis upon the judgment that we receive. Not only is He the judge, the, the determination of what happens in that judgment is what we have done with the revelation of Jesus in this life. Have we responded to Him and accepted what He has done for us on the cross? Or have we rejected him? Based upon what we have done with Jesus, will determine what that judgment looks like. Let's read from Revelation, one of my favorite books. Revelation 20, 11, 15, it says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne were opened including the book of life multiple books including the book of life and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up its dead and death and grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire this lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Theological term; uh, it's not too profound, but the separation or the distinction between some judgments, one being the great white throne judgment, where everyone will be present. There will be a separation. The word judgment itself can it gives the implication of separation. But it's also known as the unbeliever's judgment. And the outcome of that judgment, as we see at the end, is that those whose name were not recorded in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. I don't like talking about this. You probably don't like hearing about this. But it's something that is serious. And it's something that we need to negotiate. We need to comprehend. Because what that says to me is that at the end of time, at the end of this life, that some people will be eternally separated from God. Some people's fate will be that they will be cast into fire. This is a reality that we need to struggle with, that we need to wrestle with. It's serious. We can't step away from it. But the basis of that that judgment is what did they do with Jesus on this earth? And we're going to look at that over the coming weeks. Then there is a second judgment. A judgment understood for believers, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. These are two distinct judgments. I'm not going to get into timelines, but these are two distinct judgments. We read from the next slide, please, Lockie. Scripture teaches that for the believer, God's justice has already been fully and forever satisfied at the cross in relation to the believer's sins. If God were to punish the believer judicially for his sins, which Christ has already rendered payment, he would be requiring two payments for sin and therefore would be unjust. Such a concept, punishment for sin, erroneously disparages the all-sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross. What does that mean? It means if you have already received forgiveness for sin on the day of judgment, when you come before Jesus, you will not judged according to sin. It's not the sin because it's already been dealt with. It's already been judged. There's been a penalty paid for that. And this says to us that if God was to require a second payment or a second punishment for that sin, that he would be unjust. So the believer's judgment is one that is different to the unbeliever's. Next, next scripture, please, Lockie. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all, and remember this is Paul writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. Romans 14.10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the Scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Paul is writing to the church and he's making it clear to them that there is a day when they will give a personal account to Jesus for the life that they've lived. The, the language, the, the Greek words that are used in this passage, if we can go into that next uh, slide, Lockie, is a different word. It, the judgment seat of Christ, that phrase is called the bema, which we get the, the understanding of the bema seat judgment. The beamer seat was, in the time that Paul was writing, was a a place of authority where a judge would sit to cast the judgment. Um, there, there are multiple times when it is referenced in the New Testament where someone sat on the beamer seat to cast judgment, cast judgments against Jesus. That was the beamer. But the secondary reference to that is in the. Uh, in sporting reference, where they would award the, the person who had won the race or who had uh, won, the, won the prize, they would stand on the beamer. They would be given the judgment of reward. They would put the wreath around the neck or the medal around the neck or whatever it was, it was at the beamer that they were given the reward. Which tells us that Paul is, is implying that there is a difference in this judgment. It's not the judgment for your sins. It's not judgment that will lead to eternal separation. Rather than a a judgment of condemnation, it's more a judgment of commendation. It's more a fatherly conversation that will result in reward for what we have done in this world, what we've done in this life. Next passage, please, Lockie. 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 15, it says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on this foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, and straw. But on the judgment day... Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the, the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. The builder will be saved. This is not a judgment of salvation. The builder will be saved, but someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Again, the same term, beamer seat, the beamer judgment. It sounds like a conversation between us and Jesus where he says, so what did you do with what I gave you? So how did you respond? What, 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 what was your revelation? What, what, what did you do with what I gave to you? Not a, a judgment of condemnation. Your sin, let me, I really want to make this clear. Your sin has been paid for. Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin. And that doesn't mean that we come to this in, in a flippancy or just to say, oh, I can do whatever it is that I want. But this should make us think, okay, I want to live in a way that when I stand face to face with Jesus, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to allow him to do whatever it is in me that needs to change the, 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 the direction that he wants me to go so that on that day, when I stand face to face with him, I can give an account. As I've been preparing and I've been praying through this, I'm, you know, on one hand, very sober-minded about it, and then on the other hand, hopeful and expectant about it, that one day I'll stand before Jesus and get to have that conversation and say, God, this is what I did. This is what you gave me. May we take time to consider our lives in light of this, the wood and the straw, the hay. Some of the things I I, I dare say that we we invest our time in, that we give our hearts to, our attention, our focus, our devotion to, are not going to last the test of time. It's not going to last that test. Yet we invest so much into. Perhaps if anything that you take from this is to, to maybe change your thinking, just as Paul said to the church, direct your thinking in a different way. And allow that destination, allow what's going to come to change the way that you live in this life. Let it affect that. That you will stand before him. And, and you know, physical, what are those rewards? What do they look like? How, how are they outworked? I won't go into it. I've got my own kind of understanding of that. I think there are things that we will be given um, to steward. I, I don't think that heaven is a place where it's just all fluffy clouds. And um, beautiful worship music. I think there's a physical establishment and economy that, will, take, that will, will happen in this next part of eternity. And depending on how we live in this life, will affect that. I, I give that to you as a brother, as someone that loves you, and as someone that is trying to journey the same journey that you are in following Jesus and, and trying to comprehend some of this. I also want to make it clear that the the point from here is not to go and just do more stuff. Be it godly stuff, be it good stuff. Don't just go and do more stuff. When Paul says to the church, you notice he talks about the quality, not the quantity of their works. It was the quality with which they worked, not the quantity of works they did that was shown up on that day. The quality to me would be obedience to him. It would be doing what he has called me to do. It would be using what he has given me to, to, to steward well with those things. The quality. Don't think it's about going and doing a lot more stuff to try and work your way into that. But respond to him. And allow him to teach you in this life, to show you in this life what he wants, to, what, what he's preparing you for, for the next. Here's the last thing. And... um. This has a lot less to do with us. I'm going to turn around. And a lot more to do with him. Because at the end of the day, eternity is about him. This life is about him. The whole world is about him. And on that day of judgment, it will bring about the vindication of God. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On that day, when everyone is brought together, when everyone is, is presented with Jesus, he will be shown to be the one true God. The whole of humanity will get a glimpse that he is who he said he was. Every lie will be cut aside. And the truth will be revealed that he is exactly who he said he was the whole time. Every false god will be, will be exposed. Every false ideology, everything that led people astray, it will all be made seen. And we will see him in all of his glory and everyone will be, wow. He actually is who he said he was. And every knee will bow, not just the Christians, not just the believers, but every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is actually Lord. But for some by that point, that'll be the last revelation, the last experience of God's glory that they have. But he will be vindicated. Every lie that has been spoken against him, Every religious system that has set itself up, exalted itself against the name of Christ, will be exposed, will be burnt, will be cast down, and He alone will be shown to be righteous. He alone will be shown to be glorious. He will be vindicated on that day. Everyone is going to see the revelation of who He is, His glory, His majesty. might sound weird, but I'm looking forward to standing face to face with him. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.